This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Inglis, number one in its field. Ron Quinton must have had mixed feelings as he unsaddled cross swords after finishing 6th of 17 in a welter at Randwick on the 17th of April 1993. It was his last ride. The last ride of a magnificent career which had brought him 2,168 winners, 190 of them in stakes races and 46 Group 1s, eight Sydney Jockeys Premierships. A tremendous record and one he can reflect on with great pride. Ron had been planning for a long time to switch to training and he had everything in place for the transition. 25 years on, he's had a distinguished training career with five Group 1 trophies on the mantelshelf. Inducted into the Racing Hall of Fame in 2006 and in 2014, he was the recipient of the OAM, the Order of Australia Medal for Services to Racing. No racing podcast would be complete without a chat with Ron Quinton, who's online to talk to me now. Well, Ronnie, uh, there's not much else for you to do, is there? Uh, you said it all, John. We can hang up now. <laughs> <laughs> a few more winners at the training caper won't go astray. No, uh, yeah, I only have a small team these days, about 20 in work, and, um, you know, you're always hoping for that next best horse. Um had a nice winner on uh, Friday night, and um, the two old Bonnie mares, Dixie Blossoms and Daisy Doom, will come back into training this week, so uh, they'll have one more last preparation before heading off to stud in the spring. Now, the one you mentioned on Friday night, Ron, at Canterbury, I saw the race, and he couldn't have been more impressive, really. Uh, his name is Lungberg. He's lightly raced. He's by I Am Invincible, which won't do him any harm. No, he's a nice, nice horse, um, and he's. Uh, you now he put up a nice performance on on Friday night. He uh, drew eight of eight, and Phil Andrew rode him very sensibly because the main thing was that he settled and relaxed, and and uh, didn't matter really if he was caught just that fraction wide because um, the, the main thing is he relaxed and he he showed a nice little kick in the straight. There are many jockeys who never sit on a horse until they begin their apprenticeship. Malcolm Johnston is a good case in point. You were born and reared on a property at Menduran in the central west of New South Wales and you were riding from a very, very early age. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I think I had my first pony when I was two. Mm. Um, uh, the, Mrs Mary Rowley, uh, who Dad worked for, her, her actually dad uh, gave me a, a, a little pony to start off with and mm. then it all went from there. So, you know, when I got a bit older, I'd done all the Gymkhana and show circuits around the area and uh, actually had a champion pony. Um, she was great. She was good at everything and uh, mm. yeah, had great success in that area as well. Did you have a favourite pursuit at Pony Club? You'd be a bloke who'd love barrel racing, I reckon. Yeah, well, um, she was very, very good at the what they used to call flag racing. Mm. She was very good and, at that. And uh, at some of the gymkhanas, they used to always run a, uh, what they call a two furlong flutter. Mm. And uh, she was pretty good at that as well. And 
of course she was carrying about five stone at the time and <laughs> and so she could she could hike along a bit she had a little bit of thoroughbred blood in her yeah and uh, she could she could scoot along a bit so that was a lot of fun Ron you were one of the chosen few to gain an indentureship to the legendary Theo Green a creator of champion jockeys and he worked just as hard teaching kids to be good human beings. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, to get with Theo uh, through Mary Rowley, the lady that Dad worked for on the property, and she always had a couple of horses in, in training and Theo had, had them. And so I was lucky to get the introduction to him and 75% of my battle was done uh, when I walked in that gate um, mm. because he was, um, you know, like he was just uh, an amazing sort of man, uh, a great teacher. Um, and as you, as you said, you know, uh, not only uh, trained us to be good riders and things like that, but uh, to the main things in a man's life, principle and integrity, uh, with two of the most important things he instilled on us. One of your very early Group 1 winners was a tough mare called Anna Lee. You won a Doncaster on Anna Lee as a three-year-old filly way back in 1973. She could find the line, that girl. Yes, uh, yes, she was. She was, uh, was actually the same year as my first son, Sean, was born in 1973, so... Uh, mm. Yeah, Anna Lee was uh, only ever rode her four times. Um, she won at uh, Warwick Farm on a on a Saturday with fifty nine and a half kilos. She backed up the next Saturday in the Doncaster carrying forty nine kilos and won. And she backed up the following Saturday in the AJC Oaks and won by about four or five lengths. So yeah, she was an amazing filly. Um, you know, one one of the best, I, I guess, I rode. Mm. You won a Galaxy on a very interesting horse, Ron, in 1975. He was lightly raced and he was very brilliant. His name was Bletchingly, destined to become a sire of champions. Now, I don't know if you were aware at the time, but he could have a little bleed, that horse, and I, I think that was the main reason his career was so restricted. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, of that, but uh, Bletchingly only had five starts in a race and won four of them. Mm. Um, and, the, and the Galaxy was his last race. He was retired immediately after that mm. and uh, uh, trained by Angus Armanasco and uh, raced by Mr. Stanley Wooden. And, um, and uh, lucky, luckily enough, uh, I probably rode two of, the, two of his best. Um, Kingston Town and Emancipation, both by Bletchingly. Mm. Getting to Kingston Town right now. We're going fast forward to 1981. Malcolm's suspended. You get the call to to ride Kingston Town in his second Cox Plate win. Were there any worries in the race? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, he drew barrier one, um, which round Mooney Valley can be can be uh, a little bit awkward. Um, very hard track to ride, Mooney Valley, and you need a lot of luck at the right time. But um, 
yeah, coming up the side there, I was wasn't wasn't travelling all that well, uh, and I had to give a couple a bit of a nudge to get them out of the way, mm. and then um, once he straightened up in that short straight at Mooney Valley, off he went and uh, he nailed Lawman, you know, in the in in the uh, dying stages of the race. But uh, mm. what what a what a champion! Yeah. What are your memories of him, Ron? I mean, you rode him twice only. We'll talk about the second one in a moment. Was it his action? He, he looked to be a beautifully actioned horse, uh, coupled was, with his acceleration. He was just a, um, a wonderful horse to ride, you know. Uh, I rode him track work all week prior to the Cox Plate that, that particular time. Mm. But he was, you could have put a five-year-old on him and rode him he was just a lovely horse to ride and mm. you know great manners in a race and that sort of thing but uh yes no doubt his acceleration well that's what makes the great horses better than the ordinary ones is mm. the acceleration yep and and he um like he was uh five-year-old then um but like as a three-year-old when malcolm was riding him in derbies and things like that like the turn of foot that he had was just electric you know he just leave them standing in a couple of strides and um yeah he was just a, a an out and out champion you had a second go on him a week after the cox plate you rode him in the mckinnon stakes now he got into a bit of trouble going over the crossing near the half mile ron and he jarred up very badly as a result of it do you recall that happening yeah, you know, he hit the crossing. Uh, they had a crossing at the 800 at Flemington those days, mm. and it was always very, very hard. And he hit the crossing very, very hard, and he it really made him shudder. Mm. And uh, and Bill Muir lad beat him. And uh, I did say to TJ <clears throat> when I come in, I said, oh, <clears throat> Tommy really hit that crossing very hard, and <clears throat> it may well have hurt him, you know. Mm. And... Uh, but anyway, TJ back, backed him up on the Tuesday in the Cup and Malcolm was back to ride him and uh, <clears throat> and uh, he subsequently only beat a couple home. Yeah, couldn't stretch out at all in his first Melbourne Cup, could he? No, not at all. No, I'd say he was pretty well jarred up from yeah. hitting and crossing on the Saturday. Ron, just stand by there for a moment. We're going to take a break on our podcast back in a jiffy. 2019 English Select Yearling Sales Series is almost upon us, with close to 3,000 yearlings to be offered through the Southern Hemisphere's number one equine auction house. Catalogues for the Sydney Classic Yearling Sale and the Melbourne Premier Sale are now available online at english.com.au and in hard copy, while the Easter Preview magazine featuring almost 500 world-class pedigrees is also ready for your perusal. 1,013 horses will be offered at the Classic Sale, beginning at the Riverside Stables on the night of Saturday, February the 9th, directly after the English race day at Warwick Farm. In a stunning catalogue, there are relations to 76 stakes winners, including eight group winners, and the progeny of 103 stakes winning mares, including 10 group one winners. Riverside Stables will be hosting sheer quality at the 2019 Classic Yearling Sale. 
My special guest is Ron Quinton, a legend in Australian racing. Ronnie, you must have thought Dalmatia was an absolute certainty in the 1982 Epsom. You absolutely loved Emancipation. She went to Melbourne that weekend for the Edward Manifold Stakes. Everybody thought you'd go and ride the grey filly, but you stayed in Sydney. Why? Dalmatia was never going to get beaten in that Epsom. No, Dalmatia was one of one of my favourites. Um, he was a, a very, very good horse. Um, he um, he come from Brisbane and I think he'd had about nine starts in Brisbane and he, he was still a maiden and um, so uh, Neville got him going and, and away he went. But uh, I think he won three straight uh, the first time we had him had him in and then he progressively got better each each preparation and yeah he won the Epsom he won the he won the he won the Shannon Stakes at Rose Hill start before the Epsom and he I, I don't think I could have went any slower on him he was he won that easy then he came out and won the Epsom and then uh, <clears throat> he won that uh, Rawson Stakes or I don't know what they call it now but well, it's the Randvet now I think <clears throat> yeah he mm. won that. He won that. He beat a really good horse called Fountain Court, and um, and then he was favourite for the BMW. But he broke down in the week preceding the BMW, and and that was it. Um, he went he went off to stud then, and he was disappointing at the stud. Uh, I actually um, I took an interest in him at the stud, and um, but he was uh, he was certainly a failure at stud. Just for the record, uh, Emancipation won the Edward Manifold on the same day and Kevin Moses was lucky enough to get on her for that one win. Emancipation, yep. she won a total of 19. You rode her in 18 of them. But she yep. never went better, Ronnie, than the day she did in the Doncaster as a three-year-old filly. She was awesome that day. She... Um she actually carried uh, carried one and a half kilos overweight for age for a three year old filly, and um, and uh, her accelerate acceleration that day was just amazing. When she got the gap, she just took off and uh, and uh, put the race beyond doubt in a couple of strides. So, you yeah, know, um, she had an amazing record, um, nineteen of twenty seven. Um, I think she only ever run one second. Yeah, and um, when she'd put a bad one in, she'd put a bad one in, but um, mm. that was that was rare. She won a total of six Group Ones. She also won a Chipping Norton and a Canterbury Stakes, which were not Group Ones at that time. Much has been said about her temperament, Ron. Um, I've heard some very unkind things about her temperament. Did you see that side of her? She was at her worst in the stable. Uh, in a box, and Graham Big could testify to that because uh, he used to look after her all the time. But um, riding a, I never rode a, that much track work actually. A chap called Brian Williams used to ride ride a most of her work um, because Neville didn't like her to get held up out on the track or out in the middle waiting around for a jockey to get on her or something like that. But uh, so you had to keep her content and. Um, and I learned a little lesson with her on race days too. Uh, I used to always 
trot around to the barrier with a pony just to keep her nice and relaxed, and that seemed to work well with her. Let's talk about Sir Dapper, a very lightly raced horse who went to stud early. He only had 18 starts. He won 13 of them. You had seven rides on Sir Dapper, Ron, for six wins, and the the one race in which you were beaten was the Caulfield Guineas. Yeah, he, he was a wonderful colt and uh, and handled so well by Les Bridge. Um, when he got beat in the Caulfield Guineas, he only got beat a neck, and he was coming back from 2,100 of the champion stakes, which was run at Warwick Farm that particular year, and uh, come back to the 1,600 round Caulfield and, and was probably just getting toward the end of his preparation. But <clears throat> that horse was an, an amazing horse. He, um, I won the slipper on him, and then he went for a spell after that. And when he come back for his next prep, he started off, he won the San Domenico Stakes 1,000 metres, the up-and-coming 1,200, the Peter Pan 1,500, the gloaming 1,900, the Champion Stakes 2,100, all in, all in one prep. You know, it was amazing. It was amazing. Ron, your equal record holder with Shane Dye at four Golden Slipper wins each. I'm sure you'll be the first to agree you were lucky to get on two of those winners. Now, your first one in 1982 was Masquet. Jack Denham thought he was a certainty, and he won like a certainty, beating his stablemate, Vane Darra. Now, Sir Dapper... You got a little bit further back on Sir Dapper in the slipper than you probably intended to be. Oh, they went so fast. Um, mm. at that, that slipper then was it held the record then at the time. So they went, they went, they went mad. That's what they used to do in slippers those days. They used to go too fast too early mm. and had put it on for the ones that were back having a rest. And um, so that's what happened in the slippers those days, you know. 1985. Rory's jester. Darren Gauchy was booked to ride. He had a fall at Ballarat on the Tuesday. You didn't have a ride in the race. You jumped on that very flashy chestnut Rory's jester for Colin Hayes. You drew barrier two. And, Ron, looking at the replay again recently, you were never going to get beaten. No. um, Actually, that particular year, I had the offer of about four other rides in the race. And I... Didn't wouldn't take a ride until the barrier draw come out, and at that time Rory's jester wasn't on the on the list. Um, but we we're at the barrier draw in the city, and there was no mobile phones those days. But um, uh, there was a one of the press guys ha- got a message somehow from Colin Hayes. To, yeah, it was Tommy Brassel? Uh, was Tom Brassel, Ron? And uh, he asked me. Uh, Colin Hayes wanted to know if I would ride Rory's Mm. and uh, he was certainly a much better ride than the ones I had been offered so Mm. I I jumped at the chance 1987 Jim Cassidy is suspended and you picked up the ride on marauding you did get a little holiday after this one though just for good measure yeah probably uh, yeah it wiped me out for the whole uh, Ramwick Carnival but uh, But uh, anyway, it was, was, I say, it was worth it. Um, Yeah, I won that uh, race for the the Kellys, the Inghams, Robert Sangster and 
Yeah, no, it was a, it was a, you know, I don't think people would ever could ever imagine a horse by Sir Tristram winning winning a golden slipper, but no. He was a massive brute of a horse. He, he didn't look a slipper horse, did he? His, his whole appearance was anything but a slipper. Well, he was, I think Brian Mayfield Smith told me that he was about 580 kilos or something as yeah. a two year old. And uh, he, was, he was very tall and he was very long. Mm. And that's what I tried to explain to John Shrek uh, at the stewards' inquiry. Uh, I said, John, he's just a uh, sir. He's a big, long, ungainly going horse. And I said that when I pulled him out, he got all off balance and he flattened a few. But uh, mm. Mr. Shrek didn't sort of quite agree to that. <laughs> well, we all know the Golden Slipper is a stallion making race. And look at your four winners Marskay, Sir Dapper, Rory's Jester, and Marauding. All successful stallions. Yes, no doubt about that. It is a stallion-making race, and these days, you know, they don't race on very very long after. Um, I think Marsky only won two races after the slipper, and uh, I don't think Rory Rory's Jester may have won a race after. Marauding certainly didn't, um, mm-hmm. but they were all pretty successful at stud, a lot of them. Yeah. November Rain was a great filly, Ron, trained by Neville Begg. She won all three oaks in the one year. Yes, um, she she was raced by Bob Lapointe and uh, a few of his closer friends, and um, she'd won a little two thousand metre race at Rose Hill, um, and then Neville um, took it a took it to Melbourne. The next minute, she wins the Wakeful Stakes, backs up and wins the Oaks. She spelled and then come back for the autumn in Sydney. She was actually going no good, actually. Uh, she was going mm. ordinary. Mm. And anyway, she she clicked into gear just in time for the Oaks and she won the Sydney Oaks and then backed up and won the St Ledger and then off to Queensland and she won the Oaks up there. Mm. So I, it's the program's probably changed a little bit now, so it would be hard for any horse to do it now, I say. A highlight of your riding career was a long and successful partnership with Neville Begg, who chased Tommy Smith home in many, many premierships. Did any of Neville's methods rub off on Ron Quinton, the trainer? Oh, there's no doubt. Um, Neville and I had a wonderful association for probably more than 20 years. Um, I started with Neville when I sort of come out of my apprenticeship and, um, and uh, yeah, it was a, a wonderful association. Um, we got on very, very well. I think we got on very, very well because we were both both workers and um, and uh, just a, a great fella to ride for. And, uh, like, we had our bad, bad, bad days and bad rides, I suppose. Um, <coughs> but um, that, that's part of the game. But... Uh, uh, Neville never wavered. Um, he was a a great trainer. Uh, you know, learned his trade under Morris McCartan. Um, and um, people sort of say that he was a great Phillies trainer. But what people don't re- re- remember that mm. probably seventy five percent of 
Neville Stables were fillies or mares. That's right. But he done particularly well with the colts he did have, like Veloso uh, and those types of horses, um, champion stakes, you know, with uh, Veloso and who was a great little horse, and he had other 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 colts there. Dalmatia done particularly well with him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I tend to get a bit the same uh, tag as uh, f- training fillies and mares, but, um, you know, I just had a nice colt win a couple of races in a row, Royal Celebration, and mm. and Easy Rocking was probably one of my best gallopers. He was a he was a colt, and um, we uh, I don't think we did too much wrong with him, them. <laughs> you certainly didn't. He won the Group One Challenger at Flemington. Now, Ron, you went to Ireland three times. It was something you always wanted to do, and you enjoyed it so much and had a lot of success. You went back on three occasions. When you finally got home, dropped anchor and attempted to get back into your old niche in Sydney racing, it wasn't quite the same. You suddenly found yourself with two rides, 50 to 1, 33 to 1. Uh, They're running accordingly. And you said to yourself, Ronnie, my boy, this is ridiculous. I think it's time to pull the pin. That's pretty much what happened. Yeah, well, that's right. When I, uh, and of course, when you when you go away, um, you uh, not not so much get replaced by someone else, but by the same token, you're out of sight, you're out of mind. Mm-hmm. And when I come back, uh, you know, I was sort of uh, into the forties then, and uh, and um, Neville had, I think Neville had gone to Hong Kong, and um, and um, yeah, so I sort of started to struggle a little bit, and. Um, so, and I was very fit and I thought I was still riding pretty well and um, my nerve was good. Um, mm. But I just said to Margaret one day, I said, oh, look, you know, this is, you know, I, I could um, pull up now and and uh, and uh, maybe start thinking about going training, you know. Mm, exactly. So, she agreed? Yeah, you know, oh, she was always great support, you know, behind behind the scenes, so... And uh, funnily enough, if I didn't retire that year, I wouldn't have got one of the best horses I had uh, ever had, and that mm. was Mamselle Padrell. She right. come along that that year. She was the first yearling I got, mm. and uh, she turned out, and I think she won. Uh, I think she won eleven races. You know. Oh, great mare, Ron. There were very few leading stables that you didn't ride for at some stage, and you rode for so many uh, respected. Uh, and passionate owners, owners who were passionate about their racing. And you look back on a 28-year career, 28-year career as a jockey, in which time you put together eight Sydney premierships, and I know you want to record a vote of thanks to all of those people. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, look, I rode feature winners for all the best trainers in in Australia, uh, slippers, Slipper for Colin Hayes, and I won a couple of other races for him on special, and I also won on uh, a filly called Midnight Fever. TJ, mm-hmm. um, I won a lot of feature races for, for Tommy, and as the same as Neville, and didn't ride a lot for Bart Cummings, but I won a George Ryder for Bart on a horse called Hula Drum. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
you know, and, and writing work for those fellas. Um, you know, you'd be a fool if you didn't pick up something uh, the way they trained their horses and and that and placed them as well. So uh, you know, I was I was always thinking uh, about different things. So uh, I, I put a few of those things in the storage bank and uh, and uh, and then of course I went to Ireland and had good success for John Ox. Um, over there, he was training for Sheikh Mohammed and the Aga Khan, and and uh, you know uh, he had a a great bunch of owners, and uh, like in Australia, I rode for you know the likes of the Inghams, Robert Sangster, the Kellys, and a and a host of other good, uh, and of course the Muskoka Farms partnership with Emancipation, mm. um, you know uh, just a great bunch of guys and. And uh, that sort of thing. So no, it's uh, it was a, it was a wonderful racing's been a wonderful thing for me. And uh, I don't know what I'd do if I wasn't doing something with the horses. I'd probably go start crazy in a couple of days if I wasn't doing <laughs> what I'm doing. You'd be walking the box, that's for sure. I well, would. <laughs> That brings the curtain down on part one of our chat with an Australian racing legend, Ron Quinton, OAM. Back in a moment with part two. Monday, April 8th until Wednesday, April 10, 2019 are the dates for the Inglis Australian Easter Yearling Sale, the most important and influential yearling sale in this part of the world. While the final catalogue isn't released until January, it's shaping to be one of the best ever. There's a three-quarter brother to the Autumn Sun, a full brother to Merchant Navy, a half-brother to Shoals, a full brother to Brazen Bow, a three-quarter brother to Lankan Rupee, a full sister to John Snow, a half-brother to Unforgotten, a half-sister to Catchy, a half-brother to Dundeal, a half-brother to I Victory, a half-sister to She Will Reign, a three-quarter brother to Seamus Award, and a half-brother to Pino. Stallions with progeny in the sale are Schnitzel, Fastnet Rock, I Am Invincible, Reduce Choice, Sebring, Piero, and Written Tycoon. There's a strong international flavour with sires like Lord Canaloa, Deep Impact, Frankel and Tappet. There are 42 siblings to Group 1 winners and the progeny of 35 Group 1 winning mares. The preview magazine is available now and the final catalogue will be out in January. <laughs> <laughs> 